0: try to get a sense of where we are in terms of understanding ourselves and life. We've made a few observations in regard to who we are <laughs> <laughs> as regard to who we are and um What we came up with was a working model of understanding of self which shifts our entire perspective of who we are to a completely different set of parameters. We defined the levels of self into four primary categories and then we added on a fifth component which completely shifts our perception of the other four and whether you have that fifth or not defines enormous amounts of how you live your life both externally and internally If you have the fifth component, your internal perception of self is radically altered, without it, it is very different What are these four levels and how does the fifth change everything about? The four levels we discussed were corresponding to in the mystical writing, the different sections of a person's soul, self Possessions, level number one, the most external way that a person expresses himself, the way he dresses, the things he owns, the car he drives, the house he lives in, the neighborhood he chooses to live in, the type of eyeglasses, and the brand of deodorant and gel. Old Spice. Thank you. (laughs) Old Spice. Sorry, I, I didn't realize it was a decree, an Old Spice decree. Those are the most external periphery of self, Moving one step inwards you get the people that invest themselves, find their identity in their body, facial features, the size of their biceps, of course that's a very advanced, evolved thing to do. And some people are even more evolved and they go for their chest muscles. And there are those, as Gabriel has seen many times, who don't don't go for the torso development before working on the legs first and therefore they are not spinning wheels but in fact are normally healthy, balanced beasts. Um, Then you get people go one step further and they rest their sense of identity in the way they react to people, their emotions, the emotional world and the people who go even deeper and they rest their identity in their intellectual world. These four levels then Mm. correspond to the intellectuals correspond to the Seichel, the Neshama. Going down, the emotions respond to the Ruach, the spirit. Going down, the Nefesh and the Guf are interchangeable synonyms, goes to the Nefesh. And finally, you have what's called in Hebrew Kinyam, which is possessions. And those are the four levels going up and down, going up and down, going up and down. Now, if a person doesn't have the fifth level, which we're going to discuss shortly, what happens is his entire perspective of self is rooted somewhere or could be at a various degree at different levels of that. For example, you get people that their primary identity rests in their facial features. Hopefully those people are good looking. <laughs> if they are not, well, that's really sad. Um, then you get people whose primary identity rests in the emotion of the world, their personality, they feel that they have a great sense of humour, they can charm people, and that's where they, they feel their sense of identity. And there are people who completely find their identity in their ability, their intellectual prowess, their uh, acute ability to perceive and to und- All those things, essentially, are still within the realm of fixed parameters and don't break through the boundaries of the physical world. Even the intellectual still is bound. The boundaries, the ideas are still fixed. There's a limit to where they can go to and then they stop. Even the deepest idea. It's a thought process. now. Then there's a fifth level of self, which is a level of self where language stops becoming a useful medium of communication because it is beyond intellectual constructs. It's a sense that you can't possibly convey to another because it exists beyond the realm of language. It's a sense of being. And that is what we're describing as the essential self, that a person has capacity To go deep 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 inside of himself until he reaches a point where he realizes that he is not his intellect nor his emotions nor his body nor his possessions the minute the person gets to that point the entire approach to those four levels shifts until now before he's reached that point so his approach to those four levels were where he found himself, his sense of self, existed in his cleverness, wealth, etc. The minute he reaches that point deep inside, so he sees these four levels as instruments and not as identity. He sees his intellect as a means of delving into what the truth is. He sees his emotions as a way of connecting and giving to another. He sees his body as a way of facilitating that connection, assisting others, delving into by literally moving his feet to go learn from the wise. And he sees his possessions as a means of assisting others and furthering a higher goal. In other words, the minute a person defines himself in terms of his ineffable, ethereal self, his deepest part of his nishama, so then everything else about him just becomes a manner of expression, an instrument of revelation. How do you reveal this deep, shining, radiant light that the Creator has given you? Well, you can reveal it through the expression of an idea which expresses the will of the Creator in the world. You can express it Through an emotion through a feeling of connection to your friend that you're willing to give up yourself for him you can express it in literally using your physical body to be aligned with a spiritual truth which means it may be schlepping a heavy bed up three flights of steps because someone needs your help and you express it by taking a coin that you could have bought a new Moolah yogurt with the crispy little chocolatey stuff on top and the free spoon and instead of spending the ten shekels on that you say to a poor person you have this you need it more than I do so when you do that you no longer find identity in those parts of self you find utility I can use them for a higher goal. Because your essential, your prevalent sense of self derives from a place above everything. A place which is ineffable, which can't be discussed, which can't be communicated, but can be sensed and felt. And the only way it can be brought into reality is through the instruments of revelation. Are you following me? It's a very different way of seeing yourself. You actually make a conscious note of, wow what an effective instrument this hand is. Look at the many things it can do. Isn't it fascinating? And you think the same way about your brain. You say, wow, I can use this for... Now, the minute you make that shift, it completely transforms your attitude towards self. Because you no longer esteem yourself. Because esteem becomes a useless word in the description of an instrument. The discussion when related to an instrument is not how good it is, but how useful it is, as we express, expressed previously. The person has the most magnificent guitar. N- I'm not talking about your Stam guitar. Here's a guitar made by the Spanish master El Fendigo, and <laughs> <laughs> this, guitar, this guitar was fashioned from the finest Spanish words, the tone on the wood is so precise. The strings vibrate with such consistency. The resonance is literally breathtaking. And you take the guitar, and you put it on the shelf. It is valueless. It's never played. It's worthless. But you say, but I have this guitar. It doesn't mean anything. If you play the guitar, then it has value. If you leave it locked up in a safe, it has no value. It has as much value to use it for, but there's nothing big, if a person is a useless, sometimes you find collectors, it's a strange, it's a strange type of psychological imbalance, that people collect things that they don't use. One has to delve into what happened in their past and childhood, why they do that. But you get people who can, and now the experts who see these collectors become extremely frustrated, because they see these magnificent, kalium instruments, and they waste it in some type of exhibition. And they say, take it out and use it. Self-esteem looks at yourself as a museum piece. You focus on your talents and you look at them as if behind glass doors. And you say, wow, I have such a brilliant mind. Let's put it there. I have such a handsome face. Let's put it there. I have such a luster. Of flowing locks (laughs) when you relate to yourself as a museum piece your sense of self-esteem is based on I am clever therefore I feel good about myself that means my cleverness is an exhibit that I pride myself on that is wrong that means you have not yet transition to a spiritual mode of existence in order to feel that transition you no longer look at your cleverness as an attribute which is valuable in its own right you can say it's amazing what i can do with my mind in terms of grasping the mysteries of Torah." if my mind would have been so adept so deep so trained so cognitively aware i would never be able to come to the incredible insight whereby i read a Gemara which says that the gates of prayer have been closed since the destruction of the Temple. Now those words, understood on the simplest level without deeper insight, become very upsetting. Is prayer futile? How How can I deal with that? And then I have to understand what gates are. How does prayer work? How are they opened and closed, and what's the connection to the structure of the temple? So I start to build up an entire conceptual pattern, only because I have a mind that can do it. And then I can get to really the gates of prayer are not located in some type of heavenly realm, but they are around my very heart. And now look at the next where we said, that the gates of tears are always open. And understand that it's talking about an internal transition of how I can open up my deepest desires to focus. And then all of a sudden everything changes. But it's only because I have the capacity to think. So I get excited about what I can do with my mind. But not that I have it. What I can do with my emotions. But not that I have them. Self-esteem is the absolute antithesis to a spiritual life. Because it condenses and concretizes that which would be left as fluid and flowing. There's the Maldin. How often do we reiterate this idea? Twice a day. Torah Mitzvah to express this. Where is it expressed? We said that the C3 says. What does it mean? It means as follows. There we go. We'd we'll be ended off here, yeah, but not in. Rabbi Elazar, Oimer, Im neema bechol nafshecha l'me neema bechol meidecha, l'me neema bechol meidecha Lama neema bechol nafshecha. Im neema. If it is said in the pasuk, bechol nafshecha with all your life, why does it say bechol meidecha with all your wealth? Surely, if I'm willing to give up my life, if I'm commanded to give up my life because of my love of the Creator, surely I'll give up my money. And then the Medrash, the Sifu, answers Rebbe the strangest possible answer. What is he saying? He says, You yeah, people that they love their lives, their body exact lashin language they love their body more than they love their possessions therefore it says whatever you love most give up and there's a man whose money his possessions are more beloved than his life than his body we'll see the malbin soon but you already start to see the importance of this identity of where our self rests. If a person's self rests in his possessions and a toss up comes between giving up what your possessions are for the sake of the creator, for Hashem and your identity rests in those possessions you cannot give them up because when you give them up, you'll feel that you're losing your life. The Pasuk describes two different things that need to be given up for Hashem. In other words, that your love is so great that you'll give up over evenness. What are the two things the positive focuses on? Focuses on your body and your possessions. Let's say it's working with our model, so let's say it's talking about the two lower levels of our self. So, you people that their identity rests more in their money, in their possessions, in their wealth, in their clothes, than it does in their actual body. So, you say to them, listen, you have to give this all up for Hashem. Now, if their identity really rests there, they won't be able to do it. Because since they see that as their life, if you take it away from them, they wouldn't have any life left. So, they wouldn't give it up. You have other people that the identity rests in their physical being. You say to them, You have to give it up for Hashem. And they say, I can't because then I have nothing left. So you see that the premise, that the requirement for serving Hashem is that your sense of self exists outside of your, at this point, we'll see if it goes further, your possessions and your body. Because the something that gives up. Hashem has to be there when it gives it up. It creates a separation between, in order for me to give up something, it means it's not me. You can't give up something which is you because it means nothing to give up. It is me. So you see that the Pasuk which says, give up your money, give up your life, means that there's something beyond both money and life. Then the Malbim adds, I'll read it in the Hebrew, and let's see if we can get some type of chacha. Is, is, everyone, is everyone following me? Is everyone at some level of mild consciousness, <laughs> despite the vacant look in your eyes, despite your nodding heads, despite the weary look upon your faces, I assume that your hearts are dancing with joy. Say the Malbim! Strangest thing. And I read to you from the text. V'ahavto, and you should love. V'loy acha she'asem echad. V'lochein, sorry. V'lochein. V'lochein acha she'asem echad. If it's true that Hashem is one, v'imkei behechrach shegam hu mash yedame l'choshirah hu beemes achtoy v'chesed. If Hashem is one, and you know that that oneness, that unity, is good and is pure, you know Hashem is one. So it means that there's nothing that is evil in the world. There's no bad can really happen. Remember we discussed this briefly when we contrasted the Jewish version in contrast to the Lord of the Rings, the nature of the struggle between good and evil. In the nature of the struggle of good and evil, we do not perceive good and evil as warring forces, but that evil is, provides an illusion of an enemy, but it's really a friend. Because the goal of evil is allow good to come into fruition. It's the resistance that creates a person, pushes a person to extend beyond his normal comfort level. Yes? So Hashem Echad means that there's nothing outside, there's nothing bad. It's all just, any evil is purely an illusion, but it's really, it's all good. That's when you, when you say Hashem Echad, that's what you're saying, Hashem is one, nothing, there's no such thing, there's not even an inkling, there's not even a hint of anything that is evil in the world in the real sense of the word. The Prince of Darkness is in the service of the King of Light. The example, sorry, the example given by the Medrash is a king that hires a, hires a prostitute to seduce his son in order to make sure that his son has moral fiber. The prostitute, of course, is in service of the king, and her victory is when she fails at her task. The, the, the Malach, the Yetzirah is a Malach, he's an angel, and he succeeds when he fails. He succeeds when he fails. His goal is to fail. That's called Shem Echad. is one. Right. So we're going on. <laughs> Because if there's a unity of oneness, if Hashem's oneness, and that oneness is good, you can't have the evil. Rather, what appears to be bad is really good. So it's appropriate to love Hashem, even if He takes away your money, even if takes away your possessions, even if He takes away your life. Like a person that, that has an amputation to stop the disease from spreading throughout his entire body. What's like that? The way we relate to evil in this world. What appears to be painful and difficult is in fact saving your life. Saving your life. The Khosh she tigdal bein echara musak lechol tigdal she ator cholim mesukka. he says the worse the evil gets, realize how sick you are, and the kodesh is curing you. Now the what he says is bechol levavcha. Now look what the malbim says, and this is crucial for us. Bechol We only spoke about bechol nafshocha, bechol meidcha. What about bechol levavcha? Says the malbim. Ayay. Says the malbim. Shehu achelik li that's the intellectual part of a person. as it says, the heart understands. That's the that's tied into the the desire, the body. It says the Maudam says that all the levels of self- Lava Hashem more. So now let's work this. How does this work? How does this work? There's different parts to a person. You've got your intellect at the top. You've got your possessions at the bottom. With everything you have, Love Hashem. One second. One second. If my being is identified with my intellect or my emotions or my body or my possessions and I give them up, there's nothing, there's nothing to give up. There's no one there but those things. If I have the fifth dimension, that this being that's connected to the spiritual world, that's locked into the Creator Himself, and all those things are just vessels of expression, what happens when we take the instrument of expression of the light of Kedusha and we say, we want to use it against itself? I say, you can't use it for that. That's called giving up for the sake of Hashem. Someone comes to you and they say, I would like you. To use your connection to people not to connect but to absolutely disconnect by killing that person. So now you're using your love of man in its antithesis. That point in time the key becomes useless. You say, I can't use that part of myself for that deed. That's called giving up your life and not committing the one of the cardinal sins of murder. When someone so when Hashem says to me, I want you to commit adultery which connects to the desires of the body, the desires of the body are used for productive procreation in a normal setting of marriage. When you're using them for immoral adultery, so then that clea is a useless clear, it's not an instrument. You give up your life for that. And when someone comes to you and they say we want you to sacrifice your intellect which is grasping the brilliance, the oneness and the uniqueness of Hashem. We want you to now bow down to idolatry which means that your paradigm of how the world works should now be abused to the end degree. I say I'm not using the clique for that and you give it up. That's called giving up your life golyabu, for the three cardinal of it's based on the same principle that our sense of identity rests in that which beyond everything we experience our entire empirically observed self is the outward part of who we are including our intellect the innermost core of who we we are can't be measured by anything we can see touch or even think about so ironically we begin when everything else about us stops And that's grasping our sense of greatness grasping our sense of immortality grasping our sense of true spirituality that is the beginning of our step into the world of Torah and unfortunately there are many that walk in the ways of the Torah and haven't yet realized where their self lies and are still caught up into the externalities of their identity and hence they are deprived tragically of true connection why 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 now what we have to understand is how does the person make their journey to self how do you arrive there it's so difficult because yes myself is invested in everything I am because that's what I can connect to and that's what I've done and that's who I am that is who I am how can you say I'm not all of that so we have we have a lot to do to make the journey but at least now we have a model to work from thank you for your Almost vague, uninterested attention. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Apart from a new attorney from America, has been deeply focused, and it's uh, the first bit of spirituality he's had in a long, long time. So he's appreciating it.